30 to Life podcast, where we break stereotypes, build legacies, and help others along the way. Tune in every Friday for stimulating conversations about the black experience in just everyday life. So how are you redefining your black experience? 30 to Life is more than a podcast. It is an experience. And welcome back to another episode of 30 to Life, where we redefine the black experience. Uh, we are at episode 102. Can you believe it? Like, that's right. We did 102. Like, this is, this is, this is big leagues. Um, and, uh, we're approaching the wrap up of season three, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, get ready for a break, uh, much like any television show mm-hmm. or movie in between sequels. Uh, we will have another theme for season four. Um, but we just really appreciate all of the support. Uh, we appreciate y'all over the last two years. So we're going to continue to redefine the black experience and uh, continue doing what we got to do. But Brown, you know, before I bring on our guests, okay. we're going to be talking about the elephant in the room, yeah. real estate. Oh. But before we bring in our amazing guests, I got to check in with you, Brown. You know, you in, you, you in the streets, yes. you know, you, you protecting lives. Yeah. You know, things, things that monkey pox is everywhere. COVID is still, you know, uh, sneaky. What's going on? How you doing? I'm good, man. I actually been on vacation this entire week, um, but uh, okay, it's been full of just, you know, doing daddy duties. You know, I was able to take my daughter back and forth to camp all week, uh, you know, spend the time with my son. Yo, I was happy my daughter. Uh, wanted me to teach her how to dribble a basketball, so we're gonna take her to the basketball court tomorrow. You know, I ain't played basketball in like three or four years, so I'm a little nervous. But my son got this little <laughs> little little toy hoop, so I've been practicing my my form on that for the past week or so. So, uh, I think I'll be ready by tomorrow. But I, I'll let you know. I'll give you some updates. Say say less, man. I, I played ball about a month ago and um still got it, okay. man. Like, I think I think I could hit. The, I think I could hit the D League. Maybe D League. Okay. You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe not. Um. But um, one thing I wanted to say to you is that um, I'm getting stronger commuting now. I feel like like I'm stronger, like physically, uh, like from this commute. Um, and yeah, yeah, I just feel so stronger. I'm not gonna lie, so that's all I'm gonna say. You know, the, the, you know, you you have a lot of uh, uh, distractions on the train. But let's have the same conversation when it's two below zero, and uh, you, you have to go to work when it's snowing. <laughs> by the time it's snowing like uh, i don't know where I, you don't know where i'm gonna be brother yeah. i mean the great resignation right. like you never know You're right you know and you know you know uh you know the I may have to change location you know maybe uh you know cop 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 some uh florida real estate something like that but I'm a, I'm all, speaking of real estate oh, yes good segue i like that <laughs> thank you i've been practicing genius <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of the real estate, um, we have an amazing guest, right? Um, he's all about his coins, and he's all about our culture. Yes. Uh, his name is David. He's a Navy veteran. Uh, he is, I would say, a real estate expert, um, a lot of experience in the mortgage industry, and um, he hosts the House Rich uh, Real Estate Show. Uh, David, thanks f- so much for coming on to the podcast. What's going on? 
I appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, my name's David. I I guess I call myself a home ownership advocate. I try to preach the benefits of home ownership, lay out the facts, and kind of let folks make their decision. Uh, my personal opinion is everyone should strive to own a home. It's not necessary, but it helps an awful lot when building the wealth, building wealth, and helping close the wealth gap. So that, that's kind of my mission to help folks close the wealth gap through real estate. Well, thanks for coming on. We're all about closing that wealth gap uh, by any means necessary. Shout out to Malcolm X. Um, but yeah, before, you know, we deep dive until, you know, all things real estate. Um, can you tell everyone a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so I'm from D.C. Uh, I actually grew up in, in D.C., lived in uh, Peachy County from about 13 to 17. Went to the U.S. Naval Academy because my mom kind of kind of forced me to do it, um, for, for lack of a better uh, term. Uh, spent six years in the Navy. Uh, and so I, I kind of lived in the DMV area my whole life. And after I got out of the Navy, I've just seen so much different stuff. I've been to 20-plus countries. I just figure... Why not just try to move some? Why not move someplace other than DC? And so I tried to make my way down to Miami, like I think a lot of twenty-year-olds tried to do. <laughs> I, I didn't make it all the way down there. I got stopped down in uh, Memphis, moved to Texas, and uh, kind of stumbled into real estate. Like I bought my first home at twenty-one, um, and I just came across this real estate company randomly, or this mortgage company randomly, when I got out the military. And um, I never imagined myself in sales. I'm kind of like an introvert. Uh, but everything they say, said seemed pretty cool. It was like, you know, you get to educate folks. I like real estate. I like watching all those corny uh, million-dollar listings, HGTVs of the world. And it seemed kind of like the, the perfect job for me. So I just kind of fell into it. And, uh, um, yeah, it's going to be kind of like my, my, my dream job, if there's such a thing as a, a dream job. So. Love it. Love it, man. Um, yeah, it seems like a unique journey, uh, you know, going into like the military, um, Naval Academy and then, uh, you know, buying your first home at 21. So uh, our podcast, we have a lot of millennials, you know, it's very hard uh, to buy a house nowadays. So can you break down the strategy to buy your first home? Yeah, so I always tell folks the, the most important thing when it comes to buying your first home is just identifying what your budget is. So a lot of times folks will say, hey, I want a $300,000 home. And my first question is, what do you think the mortgage on that home is? And typically, it's I don't know. And so the problem with like identifying your price range before you identify your budget is you'll fall in love with that with that price range and the neighborhood and the homes in the neighborhood, you know, your budget be damned. So, I mean, if like your budget is, is $1,200 and a $300,000 home is up being $1,800 towards your budget, you're going to talk yourself into that 800, into that $1,800 monthly payment for a home. So the first thing I tell folks is, <clears throat> excuse me, is, you know, what are you paying for rent? Just to make the number super easy, let's say you're paying $1,000 for rent. My next question is, is that comfortable? If the answer is yes, you know, maybe you can go a little bit higher. If the answer is no, we need to go a little bit lower. But let's say you're comfortable with $1,000 toward, towards rent. I tell folks, literally just put in, just go to Google and type in mortgage calculator. A mortgage calculator will pop up. It's literally the first option there. And just start putting in random numbers. Start putting in random numbers. Let's say you put in like $200,000 and that'll cut, that'll spit out maybe like a, a $700 principal and interest payment. And then, so what you do from there is you say, hey, $200,000 gets me like a, a $700 principal and interest payment. Just literally just go to like Zillow or realtor.com and start looking for $200,000 homes. And then look at what the taxes are on those properties. And so let's say the taxes are $2,400 a year 
on a $200,000 home. Now you take $2,400 divided by 12, and you know those your taxes are going to be $200. So now you got $700 for your principal and interest plus $200. So you know you had a $900 a month payment. And then you can factor in like whatever the taxes are in that area. I just tell folks, you know, pick like $100, $150, something like that. But the most important thing is to figure out what your budget is before anything. Because we always know there's a difference between what you can qualify for and what you can afford. Like the lender will, will qualify you for maybe a lot more than you can afford, but you need to focus on that that budget. So that's literally the first thing you need to do is figure out what your budget is and how that equates to as far as the monthly payment. And outside of that, like there's, there's only three things your lender is looking at. They're looking at your credit, which I tell folks, believe it or not, you control your credit score 100 percent um they're looking at your your debt to, your debt to income ratio which is your monthly finance debts plus your future mortgage payment divided by your income before taxes you control your debt to income ratio or your dti as well you may not be able to get the home you want but you control that too the last thing you close is the funds for the for the down payment i mean you control that too because you control what price range you're looking at i'm not saying it's easy to save for a down payment but all three major factors like you can you control but start with the budget first and then kind of work your way backward this device i give the folks yeah so you mentioned that you bought your first home at 21 and you know i'm 37 right now and i see a lot of 21 year olds and uh i know that you know mature level wise um I don't know many 21-year-olds that are ready to buy a house. So like, in your opinion, how does someone know that they're ready to buy a house? Money aside. So I say that the major factors are, are one, like, do you think that you're financially stable? It's probably hard to be financially stable at 21. Like, my situation was unique because, like I said, when I graduated from the Naval Academy, you automatically go into the military. And that's probably the most stable job, like, in, in the world. It's, like, very hard to get kicked out of the military. You can just have a pulse, honestly, for five years, and you, you'll you be in the military. So it's, it's almost impossible to get kicked out of the military. So I knew I had a super stable job um, with the VA loan. It's 0% down. But the most important factor was that my parents had owned a home as well. So they were able to guide me through the process. Because honestly, I don't remember a single thing from when I bought that first home. Like, I don't remember my rate. I don't remember anything about when I first bought the home. But I know my 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 mom and my dad said, hey, you're going to be living in this place for the next three years. You know that for a fact? Because that's what orders say. You should buy a home. And so I was like, Okay, I guess I guess that makes sense. I'll I'll, I'll buy a home. So yeah, my, but I mean, really, it's it's being ready. But I, at 21, you probably do need some guidance. Like, fortunately, I have my parents to literally tell me what to do and to guide me through the process. And so, um, if you don't have a, a parent, I mean, um, I guess you can reach out to f- folks like me. Um, you can, you know, there's other podcasts you can listen to. Um, but you just have to to do your research um, as far as that. But uh, it, it's hard to say for an individual person. But I think if you have some sort of a mentor, preferably a parent, um, it's kind of what you need in order to purchase a home like so early in your um, your journey yeah, through life. I definitely uh, agree, and it, it's also like you know, it's a huge responsibility. So like my my question to you now would be like, what yeah. would be uh, some of the uh, uh, gems that you would give to somebody who's in their early 20s who's maybe thinking about, uh, I guess, purchasing some property in this 
economic climate right now? So, so for, first and foremost, I would say your decision is your decision. So you have a, a lot of folks, you know, running around selling whatever, telling other folks what they should do with their money. I always say if it comes down to it, nobody's going to pay your mortgage except for you. No. So if you want, if you need to rent, you need to rent. And I think it's not trying to be like too cool or impress other people. I mean, if you have the ability, probably the best thing you can do at 21 is just to stay with your folks another two, three years until you can actually, you know, save up for a down payment. Um, you know, if you think you can budget for a thousand dollars a month, you know, you know, pay your folks. I'm doing air quotes. Pay your folks a thousand dollars a month for rent. Have them hold that. Have them invest that. Have them put this in some sort of account to save for um, a down payment. But don't let anyone force you to make a decision. Yeah, e- even the smartest people don't know where the market is going. I always, I look back at like uh, March twenty. What when COVID started, like March twenty twenty something like that. Yeah, March twenty twenty. Yeah, if, if so, if you would ask me March 2020 what was going to happen with the real estate market, I would have told you I think the real estate market is going to is going to tank. And I think most people would have told you at that point the real estate market is going to tank because everyone thought, hey, no one's going to be going out and buying homes. And I mean, there's there's news articles that said the same thing. I, I used to work at Chase at that point. I know that's what Chase, a huge financial institution, thought, and all and all their analysts thought that the market was going to tank. And that's what most people thought was going to happen to the market. So no one knows what's going to happen. You just have to make the best decision for yourself. And so I think folks may be nervous thinking like, hey, uh, let's take the most extreme example. Let's say you buy a home today and tomorrow the market drops 20%. And folks would think that's a, I guess that that is bad. But the thing is, that's why, that's why at the beginning I said, focus on your budget. So like if you purchase a home and your budget work on a Monday and the market drops 20% on Tuesday, your monthly payment is still the same. I mean, your plan with buying a home should not be to hold a home for like a, a year or six months and, and flip it. That, that, that's not the goal when you buy a home. And so um, you can't really control the market. Like I said, if the market does drop 20% somehow from Monday to Tuesday, your payment's still the same. Uh, and just like, you know, uh, stocks, as long as you're going to hold the property, you don't lose money until you sell it. And so if you're going to hold that property for four to five years, you're going to come back uh, on top on the, on the other side. So timing is important when you're purchasing home. Um, um, would now be a good time to buy in your, you know, experience? So, um, so I, I don't think it's a, a bad time to buy. And so, you know, folks will say, you know, rates are super high right now. You know, should I wait to buy a home? And so what, what if two things could happen? Rates can go up rates can, can go down. So if rates go up, you know, you made a good decision to buy it right now. If rates go down considerably, I mean, you can always refinance your home. And so the other thing is like, what's going to happen with home prices? Obviously, no one can predict the future, but we can use the the information or the data we see in the past to inform our decisions like going forward. And so if you look historically, like the last 10 years, Home prices have increased nine of the last 10 years. The last time home prices actually dropped was from 2018 to 2019. It was less than a 1% drop. And so like the other thing folks will say is, hey, you know, a recession is coming up or maybe we're in a recession, who knows? Three of the last five recessions, home prices have gone up as well. So believe it or not, there's not like a link between a recession and home prices. And so, so the other side of the coin is home prices have gone down two of the last five recessions. Well, one of those recessions, I think we all know was 2008. That recession was literally due to the housing market 
crashing. It's not like the it's not like housing the housing market crashed due to the recession. The housing market crashed due the recession happened due to the housing market crash. So to me that that's not even really a, a fair one to look at. So if you look at like three of the last four years, home prices have gone up during a recession. So you know folks like to say, hey, is it going to be like two thousand eight? Two thousand eight was a whole different thing. You know, there was reckless lending habits. If you had a pulse, you could get a loan. There was no income checks. Um, it just, hey, I make $80,000, give me a loan, you're, you're good to go. And so, um, like now, even during COVID, like the lending practice actually got stricter during COVID. So, like, you know, during 2001, it was probably harder to buy a home or qualify to buy a home than any time in recorded history. And so, uh, in my opinion, I don't think like home prices are going to to go down. There's really no no data that I've seen at all. They're saying home prices are going to go down. So I mean, I, I think like I said, if it fits within your budget and your plan is to hold that property for you know the next four to five years, you know, I, I say thumbs up and, and and pull the trigger. So so one thing I want to just uh, take a deep dive on is. Um, one, the wealth gap, uh, but specifically how uh, real estate um, can help close that. Because um, through many discussions throughout this year, if you go on any social media, they talk about if you're renting, you're throwing away money. If you buy a home, you're overpaying. I mean, there's a lot of discussion back and forth, but uh, we know uh, real estate is is a way to build wealth. But specifically, how can that help close the wealth gap? So. I think most folks, their their net worth is 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 in, is in their property, and so you know we know historically with, with as far as redlining, you know people like us literally were not allowed to buy property um, into certain areas until like the the nineteen sixty eight Fair Housing Act actually made it so that it was it was no longer legal to ban people of color from buying property in certain neighborhoods. And so you know folks literally had like you know. Not even talking about slavery, but folks at like a, a 40, 50 year here start when it comes to purchasing property. So I can think of a, an extreme example, which was in the in the news recently, which was the couple at uh, Bruce Speech in 1914. I think they had their their uh, property took it from them in Bruce Beach in California um, due to due to imminent domain um, is what the uh, I think the Manhattan City Council said. And they just took their family's property ju- just because they didn't even use it for anything. They put like a, uh, a parking lot there. And I think like 20 years later, they built like a lifeguard station on the property. And then fast forward to today, 2000, um, what's the name, 2022, they they rent, they they leased the property back to the couple or to the to the descendants for like I think it was like four hundred and seventeen thousand dollars a year for the next years. And the 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 city of LA has the option to buy the property back from them for no more than twenty billion dollars. So I, I look at that like extreme example of this family that just had a property taken out of their family tree for for 98 years. And the city of LA is basically saying that, hey, this property is worth $417,000 a year if you, if, and you have to lease it back to us. And so that, that's just a, a very extreme example of this family missing out on wealth for, for 98 straight years and, you know, all the stuff they could have done with that property. So let's just give it to a basic example of, you know, somebody today. And so one, owning a home, honestly, it's just kind of like forced savings to begin with. You know, it, you know, your home will appreciate, but buying a home essentially forced you to to save money and put it into that asset, which is real estate. I mean, you can do things as such as, as house hacking. That's what I, I did with my first property as well. So I, I lived in Norfolk, Virginia. Like the cost of living in the area I was staying was probably like 
fourteen hundred dollars. Well, my my mortgage was like fourteen hundred dollars a month. I rented I rented a room out to my roommate for like nine hundred and thirty dollars. And so as as a twenty one year old, I was paying basically four hundred seventy dollars to live. And so that's an extra you know nine hundred thirty dollars I wasn't spending on my cost of living that I was able to to invest. So something as simple as you know using your property. Um, renting out the the rooms like house hacking is a way to save money for yourself and just just kind of build wealth um, that way. But uh, worst case scenario, like buying a home, it's just it's just like forced savings. So I'm interested in your opinion on uh, big corporations purchasing up a lot of these homes now and really listing them as rental properties. Um, how far do you see that going, and what does that really mean for you know the future of us, uh, you know, investing in real estate. Yeah, so I always tell folks, you know, um, now this is not my quote, but I always say, like, uh, on the end of my podcast, uh, buy land, rumor has it, they aren't making any more of it. Like, land is, is finite. And so I think, like, last month, corporations, I want to say they made up, like, 16% of, of purchases. Yeah, I think it was, like, 16% of purchases are what corporations are doing. So, what they do is they, they're purchasing like properties in, in mass. And what happens when you do that? Like some, like I, I saw an article in Texas here in Texas where they bought like a whole community of like 140 properties. And so when you do that, like you literally get to, to set the market because, you know, rentals and homes are based on comparable sales comps. And so when you buy a whole neighborhood of 140 properties, one, the people that live in their neighbor in that area are kind of forced to rent or just, you know, go super far and buy a home. And then, so how do you determine what rent is in the neighborhood? Well, if you own all 140 properties, it's whatever you say it is. And so that, that that's why I, another reason I encourage, you know, buying property and holding it. Cause once you own a property, you, you get to live there, property taxes go up, but you basically are locking in your, um, your cost of living for the next 30 years. If you, if you want to. So, you know, there's a difference between like, you know, living where you, you have to live and living where you, you want to live. When you when you buy a property, you get to live where you want to live. If you choose to sell it, you, you can. If you choose to rent it to somebody, you can. Um, but ownership is key because, excuse me, it's because like if you own the property, like you know, no one can tell you what to do with it. And so if you don't own a property and someone's buying up a whole bunch of uh, homes around you, you know, what 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 can you really say? But you know, like shake your fist at, at the air and be upset with it. But if you if you own the property, they they can't take it from you. Um, unless you sell it. So I think it's important for folks to to buy property now because a lot of those folks and these corporations, you know, they have a lot of, they're, they're doing a lot of research. They're buying these homes for a reason, not buying it um, for it to be, not, not that they're going to be bad landlords, but they're not buying it to be like um, uh, to, for charity cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, try, they're, trying to make, they're trying to make money. So they see it as opportunity um, and, and you should too, but you should see it as opportunity for yourself. You know, it's better to pay yourself rent through a mortgage than to, than to pay it to somebody else. So talk to us about Coins and Culture. What, what, what is that about? Why, why did you uh, or where did you come up with that title or name? Yeah, so um, I guess I'll give you like the, the, the abridged uh, version. So basically during the beginning of the pandemic, so I I've never really been online, um, maybe for like three, maybe for like the four or five years, last four or five years. I've not been on Facebook, Instagram, anything. But with the pandemic, I was like, you know, I'm at home more and I'm just scrolling through the the uh, Instagram. And so 
you know, the, the phone listened to what you have to say. So I started seeing like a lot of real estate related topics and I started looking at them and I was like, huh, that, that's not actually like accurate or that's like fluff high level. And so I was like, maybe I should start putting out some content of my own online and just see, see what happens. And so you would think I would go like straight to real estate content. But I, I had this idea that I need to be like a guru like everybody else. So I started putting out like, um, I started trying to be like a, a finance girl. I started putting out all this this random finance uh, stuff out there. And so one day I was, I was like, hey, why don't you put out some content related to what you have going on in your real life? And so I made this mortgage post and it, it, it did very well. So I had to be getting like 10, 15 likes a post. And I made this mortgage post and I got like 280 likes. So I was like, huh. Maybe maybe I'm on to something. So my actual name at that point was like two hour lunch break. They used to take like a 90 minute lunch break <laughs> during work. And so a two hour lunch break sounded, sounded a little bit better. And so um, eventually I was like, yeah, I should start posting a lot more mortgage content. And so I, I still didn't want to go all in at that point because I came up with like two names. I was like, mortgage and money should be my screen name or coins and culture. I liked like the, the alliteration thing. And so I was like, huh, mortgage money is like, I'm too pigeoning hole myself because there's no way I can talk about mortgage every single day of the of the year on my uh, on my page, which is exactly what I, what I do now. So I just kind of came up with the, the coins and culture, coins being money, uh, you know, culture being the culture. I just like the way it sounded. So that's how I kind of came up with the with the name itself. And it's just um, the goal of the platform is just to educate folks on the home buying process. I like to put out detailed information because, like I said, there's a lot of inaccurate slash uh, fluff on the Internet as far as folks um, putting out information about the home buying process. Because I think what happens is folks just see someone post something and then they just they'll post it as well. But no one actually reads the guidelines, which is why a lot of stuff is fluff. And then it kind of turns a little bit inaccurate when everybody tries to put their own little little spin on things. Because reading the guidelines are, are super boring, but that, that's what I, okay. I do with my job. Yeah. So, so yeah. So let's talk about those guidelines. Um, one, I think, uh, can you just break down what someone should do before they're getting ready to buy their, their first home? Like what are the, what's the checklist that they need? So I would say the, the first thing you want to do before you buy your first home is to figure out what the game plan is. And so like, you, you know, house hacking is like a, excuse me, house hacking is like a cool buzzword now, but th there's a lot of ways to, to, to build wealth. Sorry, excuse me. Excuse me, sorry. And you need to figure out what your strategy is as far as purchasing real estate. Is your goal to purchase one home a year, like buy a home, stay there for a year, move and build your real estate portfolio that way? Do you want a house hack, get a multifamily property? If you want to get a house hack and buy a multifamily property, easier said than done, but you want to start with four units and work your way down to four, three, two, one. Or do you just want to say, hey, um, whatever age I am, this is the home I want. This is my, my dream home. I've been working an X amount of years and I just want to buy my dream home. I don't really care about house hack or anything like that. So you need to figure out like what your, your game plan is before anything. Um, like I said, then the next thing is you want to kind of figure out what your budget is and figure out what type of property you can afford. And then the, the, the third thing kind of all simultaneously is you need to figure out where your credit is. One of the things with credit, it's, it's a, it's no-go criteria. Either you got the score or you don't. And so th there's a lot of ways to do it. So 
a mistake a lot of folks make is they'll look at maybe like their banking app or like Credit Karma or something like that and see what they think their credit score is. I always say like Credit Karma is not wrong. It's just a completely different score model. It's a Vantage 3 score model. When you're when you're applying for a mortgage, it's a FICO 2, 4, and 5 score model that's used. So there's really two ways to get that, that FICO 2, 4, and 5 score model. You can go to a website called My FICO and pay for it. Or you can just get your credit pulled by a lender. For some reason, like folks are deathly afraid to get their credit pulled and have a a, a credit hit. It, it, inquiries of credit hits don't matter. They're a necessary part of qualifying for a mortgage. And a credit hit may impact your credit like four to five points. Inquiries don't honestly impact your credit for the most part after three months. They don't, they don't impact your credit at all after a year. And after two months, they fall off completely. But you need to figure out what is on your credit report, what do you think you have a great score or not? Like I'll, I'll give my personal example, like uh, six or so years ago when I went to purchase a home here in Dallas, I've been looking at, this actually right before I became a loan officer, I've been looking at my banking app and I was like, hey, I think I got a, my banking app says I got an 804 credit score. I must got an 804 credit score because the bank knows everything about me. And so when I went to go actually get my credit pulled by the lender, I went to go qualify. He was like, everything is good up. Everything's good to go. Gave me a thumbs up. So I was like, yeah, I'm just curious, what's my credit score? And he told me my credit score was a 680, I think like a 684 was my credit score. And I was like, well, I, was, I was wondering, like, why is my score so different when the lender pulled than what is showing on my bank app? Because, you know, USAA, they, they can't be wrong. And so he showed me my, my credit score my credit report. So there was like literally a $75 collection on my credit report. And so I didn't really know how things worked as far as credit, but I was like, huh, I have this $75 debt. Let me just call this collection company and, and pay it off real quick. And so I paid it off and luckily they, they removed the, um, they removed the collection and my credit score shot up to, to an 804. But I was luckily that I had time in the, in the buying process to, to one, um, look at my credit score. To two, have time to pay off a debt. Three, have a thirty have thirty days for my credit report to cycle and refresh. And then third, I'm lucky that the debt collector removed the collection from my report to begin with because they don't even have to do that in the first place. Like paying off a collection, but not getting it deleted does literally nothing for your your credit report. But like I said, you want to find out basically set up a, a game plan on like what your real estate, what your goals are for your real estate portfolio. You want to figure out what your budget is, and then you want to figure out what your, your credit is, because those are really the, the three steps you just take before you kind of dive into the, the home buying process. Yeah, and, and I think those are all fair points. Um, I, I definitely think the credit part is is really important. And um, if you if you, everyone's listening, you haven't looked at like your credit report and let's say you see some things on there, like something for like uh, from the hospital that's in collections or an old car. I mean, I think I did this before with uh, something that was on my report as well. I just called the collection co- company and asked if they can remove it, you know, if I paid, right? And they did it. And that yeah. those drastically increase your credit score. So I remember when that happened, I was, I was yeah. happy. And all it was is really just asking, right? So anytime, uh, if you have anything in collections and they call you, like your power is, hey, if I pay yeah. this off, will you remove this? And obviously the collection person gets, you know, some type of bonus or incentive to get that person to do for you to do something. So you got to get them to do something for you. And that's how you can like uh, quickly increase your your, your credit scores. Yeah. So your, 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 your debt, 
the debt collector bought for like pennies on a dollar anyway. So like honestly, anything they they make is is profit. I mean, if you have like a five hundred dollar collection, they may pay like fifty dollars for that anyway. So if your if your debt is five hundred dollars, they'll they'll probably give it to you. They'll probably let you pay it off for like four hundred, three hundred fifty dollars. A lot of times they'll just offer you a number like 30% less than what the collection is in the first place because they're, they're making so much profit off of it anyway. Because honestly, folks rarely pay the collections. And so that's why they, they pay like so little for your debt in the first place. So um, yeah, possible. Try to see what the what the lowest amount is you can pay for that, that debt as well on top of that. Yeah, no, definitely great points. Um, uh, another thing I want to break down is once everyone you know buy their first home or their real estate property or investment property um a lot of times the first thing they think of is like a 30-year fixed mortgage uh but there's so many other options um you, you know you have uh 15 you have uh fha you have um uh, other loan uh, options as well so i kind of at a high level, kind of just break down the different options and like yeah. So I'll, I'll go through the the loan programs through the the least likely you ought to use to the to the most likely. So, in my opinion, the best loan program out there is, is the VA loan. But you have to be a veteran or um, unfortunately married to a deceased veteran um, in order to use the VA loan. But that's that's zero percent down, and you can buy a a one, two, three, or four unit property with that with that VA loan as well. And there, there's no mortgage insurance at, at all with the VA loan as well. So um, only a few people can obviously use that. The next or even less likely um, is the USDA loan. And so a USDA loan is basically a loan purchased in an agricultural area. And that's also 0% down as well. And a lot of times folks will hear a USDA loan and think it has to be like farmland. So I'm here in Dallas and I mean, there's properties, there's USDA zoned areas within like five minutes of Dallas. And so they may be USDA areas may be a lot closer than you think they are. And the way to find out where they are is just go to just, just Google USDA, um, just Google USDA um, property zones or so, something to that extent. And it'll, it'll come up with like a, a map. You can put in basically a zip code and figure out if that if that location is zoned for USDA. And so uh, the next program is, is NACA. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, thoughts about the, the NACA program. Some folks have bad things to say. Some folks have good things to say. But the thing with NACA is they don't, they evaluate your ability to pay your bills, but not necessarily your credit. There's no fees with the NACA loan and it's 0% down as well. And so that comes with a lot of strings as well, because it's a lot more strenuous process than the other loan programs, than the other loan programs are. And sometimes sellers don't like the NACA loans because they take a little bit longer to close, but it's, it's a great loan program as, as well. And so all three of those programs I just mentioned, technically none of them have a minimum credit score, but you want to probably have about a six, at least a 620 for those loan programs. So now let's get to the, the two popular programs, FHA and conventional. And so FHA loan, to me, the only reason to ever use an FHA loan is, is two reasons. One is your house hacking. Because once again, your minimum down payment for an FHA loan is three and a half percent, and you can buy a one, two, three, or four unit property with an FHA loan, and is more forgiving credit-wise than a conventional loan is. So you can have higher um, outstanding debts with an FHA loan. You can have a lower credit score with FHA loan, and qualify in scenarios that you can't qualify for with a conventional loan. And technically, per the guidelines, you can actually go down to a 500 credit score. With, with an FHA loan as well. So between a 500 credit score 
and a 579 credit score. Um, you can qualify, but you have to put down 10% with an FHA loan. I always say it's very hard to find a lender that will lend that low because those are the minimum FHA guidelines. But lenders all can put what's called overlays, which are additional um, loan requirements on top of those minimum guidelines. So honestly, with an FHA loan, you're most likely going to want to be at like a 620 anyways. And then so the most popular loan program is a, is a conventional loan. And so with a conventional loan, you're going to need about a six, you're going to need a 620 credit score at minimum. The minimum down payment for a conventional loan is 3%. It, it's, it's 3%. Um, if you have like a 640 credit score, it's 5% if you have a 620 credit score. But that that's the most popular loan program you're going to see is, is conventional. And honestly, like I said, I've listed the minimum credit scores for all of these scenarios. But realistically, with a conventional loan, your best chance of qualifying are if you're north of a 640 um, credit score. So th those are the three most popular. But um, yeah, go conventional in pretty much every situation unless you're trying to house act or you just can't qualify credit wise um, with an FHA loan. And, I, and I, I say every scenario go conventional just because FHA loans have like a negative stigma to them because one, sellers know that they have a lower credit requirement. So they, they whether folks want to admit it or not, like your credit profile is just kind of an, an, a, um, an example of like your financial responsibility. I mean, if you have a lower credit score, um, Something probably happened in your your past or or um, the present, which is why you have a lower credit score. So sellers may think, hey, this person is least likely or less likely to close on this deal. There, there's stuff within FHA loan called like the amendatory clause, which is which says that if the the home does not appraise for the price on the contract, the seller can the buyer can walk away from the transaction at any point in time, even after the earnest money period. And also FHA loans are a lot more um, strenuous as far as the the appraisal. There's certain things that actually have to be fixed with an FHA loan versus a conventional loan, which is why a lot of times, are all things equal, sellers will steer away of an FHA loan, even if it has the exact same parameters due to those three things, the mandatory clause um, and the mandatory clause, the stricter inspection, and also like the, the appraisal sticks with an FHA loan for an additional uh, six months as well. Awesome. awesome. So I want to, I want to pivot to your uh, social media presence. You know, so, uh, so great breakdown. 3,000 followers on Instagram. You have uh, 1.2K subscribers on, on YouTube. Uh, how did you go about that, that growth process? So I, I, like I said, I just started posting, for lack of a better term. Um, I think with with anything, you just gotta start throwing content out there, and you will just kind of kind of evolve. You'll figure out what you're good at. You'll be able to kind of perfect what you're good at, and you'll you'll figure out what the, what the people want to see as as well. Because I always say. Um, yeah, you figure out what the people want as well. So like I said, like I kind of mentioned, my first iteration of the page was something completely different from like mortgages. And so as you make more content, you kind of get more comfortable with making content. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a, believe it or not, like I'm a, uh, a very uh, introverted person. Um, folks, say, folks are kind of surprised that I post like videos every single day on Instagram, but you just, you just kind of get a lot more comfortable with, with posting with making more content, the more content you make essentially. And so um, it's posting more content, you know, collaborating with like-minded folks on, on Instagram and, you know, um, you know, sharing posts, you know, you'll, you in certain situations, I, 
you know, I get on, you know, you pay for like shout outs and other pages to build your brand. But I think it comes down to just putting out like good, authentic content and finding your your niche. Um, it's kind of what's helped me grow on uh, the various platforms and just, yeah, just, yeah, just the more you post, the better, the better you get at it, essentially. All right. Um, how are you redefining your yes, black experience? So, so with me, my goal is to continue on the the legacy that my parents have built. So, my parents are from North Carolina in D.C. So, my grandmother did not own own a home. My parents helped her purchase a home in D.C., which is which is pretty cool because. I remember, I remember in the '90s going to this this townhome she owned in DC, and I remember there being like drug addicts on the streets. I remember going down to the corner store, and just there's like a the local corner store down there. Um, and so I remember going back home like six years ago to the, that exact same property, and there's literally a Whole Foods on the corner now. There's um, there's like creative graffiti on that on that corner now. There's a like three thousand dollar a month. Um, studio apartments all on that same block which in the 90s had like drug dealers and 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 addicts on that on that block and so it's great for my family because my parents made the decision to purchase that property if they were just renting there they you know i, I wouldn't even think about I, w- I probably wouldn't even know about that property now so my goal is to is to build on the legacy that my parents have have set up for me so um, how I'm doing that myself is I'm, I'm building my real estate portfolio as well. Um, I'm investing, I'm educating my uh, the folks around me on building wealth through real estate as well. So I don't have any, um, I'm married, but I don't have any kids yet. But my goal is to um, kind of kind of pass down the same um, knowledge and work ethic down to my, my kids so that we can continue to build wealth you know a lot of times folks will will make fun of like the the trust fund kid because hey you had it easy growing up i want my kids to have it easy growing up you know i want my my, my kids to have the proverbial that like silver spoon um i don't want them to come with like the 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 bad habits or like the the cliche stuff where, where they think they're they're better than other folks but i want my kids to have it easy growing up so that that that's my goal is to have my kids to have it easier than i had it because i know my um Parents had it easier than my my grandmother, and so I, and I've had it easier than my parents. So just to just to keep building and um and, and going forward um yeah, from here to uh, infinity and beyond. Yeah, that's that's the word. That's the word. Yeah, and I, I yeah. think I think that's that's the goal, right? Like we don't want yeah. you know to keep on passing on the struggle, right? We want to yeah. uh, pass on prosperity. Right. Like that's what we want to pass on to our kids for the next generation. So, you know, I think we all are, all are in agreement for that and want to do that for our kids as well, because that's yeah. what our parents did. That's what, you know, the generation before that and before that. And, you know, obviously yeah. we don't want to pass on the struggle. We want to pass on that work ethic. But uh, just imagine them having, you know, the knowledge that we didn't plus that work ethic, you know, the sky's the limit. Or should I say there's no limit? Uh, everything's possible. So um, really appreciate you coming on, Dave. Like you um, are really redefining the black experience just by, you know, building wealth through real estate, um, sharing your knowledge uh, across social media um, and uh, just, you know, being a, a beacon for everyone who, you know, is looking to, you know, get in their first door.
You can follow me on Instagram at coins and culture, the word coins, letter in the word culture. Um, you can find me on TikTok as well. I'm trying to get that off the ground. It seems like it's more for the, for the kids, but they, I'm not, I'm not dancing nothing on there. So I'm trying to get some traction on, on TikTok as well. Um, you can find me at a uh, house rich show, house rich, the real estate show on, uh, all podcast platforms. You can find me on, on YouTube as well. So, uh, I say the, the IG is for like short clips and the podcast and YouTube is to go a little bit more deeper on a lot of those topics. Like I said, I try to focus on uh, details and, uh, and skip through all the, the fluff. So. Got it. Yeah, no, it's been amazing. And, you know, everyone, you know, make sure you check out Dave and his podcast. Uh, but yeah, this has been another episode. Really appreciate everyone who's listening right now. Make sure you hit that subscribe button 